What wish do you have for me heading into 2024? There is one and only one wish that you get to see the fruits of all of your labor. That not in the pit of your stomach that you feel every single day goes away because I think that you are one of the most successful people that I know. And I want you to feel that way. I want everything that you're working on to come into fruition tenfold. Thank you. And I know you wish that and I, I carry it deep. This has been the hardest professional year I've had since the year I got let go and had to pivot and go into recruiting. But I'm confident in what I built, what I'm building, the seeds that I've planted. And we always, you and I, we always figure shit out in the end. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We're bringing the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. Folks, welcome to episode 300. I was going to wear my gladiator full Russell Crowe 300 um, costume today, but uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't quite fit me the way it used to. Um, but this is video unless you're only listening and you can't see who my guest is, but you would know because you saw it in the show notes. But I am proud, honored, and humbled to introduce my 300th guest, my incredible, beautiful, amazing wife, Alona Babinski-Hosner. Welcome to the show, babe. I'm so glad to finally be on the show, babe. <laughs> and we are we are doing it uh, live here in in New York City, and it, and it's pretty fitting to do it um, on the island in the place where we first met. Um, and we'll get to that story in a little bit. But for folks who do not know who you are, aside from being my wife and the mother of our our two beautiful kids, tell everyone professionally who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, I am an attorney. I've been practicing for over 18 years, which is hard to believe because I'm so young. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I focus on commercial real estate, all aspects, including acquisition, sale, financing, leasing um, for all types of properties, uh, multifamily, condo, co-op, um, shopping centers, and everything in between. So basically, we couldn't be more opposite as far as what we do for for a living. And don't you think that's a good thing? I think it's I think it's a great thing for a relationship. And it's like you can have two. We have friends, two lawyers married to each other. Sounds terrible. Oh my god! Imagine the amount of arguing that would actually. <laughs> I mean, we have friends that do that, and it's insane. Uh, where? Let's talk a little bit about family first. Where Where were you born? Um, okay, I was born in Minsk, which is the capital of Belarus, former Soviet Union. Um, I came to this country when I was about two and a half years old in 1981 <laughs> and um, settled into Brooklyn first and um, lived there until about the age of 10. And then my parents moved to Roslyn, Long Island, major culture shock. And um, yeah, that's that's my trajectory. Well, what's interesting about that is, I mean, I was not born, I was born in Brooklyn, but we 
both grew up in Brooklyn. I moved to Long Island when I was 12. Alona moved here when she was 10. Uh, definitely a culture shock. Do you, do you have any memories? I know it's hard to remember. I would think about like, what are my earliest memories as a kid? And I have like these visions of our apartment in Brooklyn. I have certain memories of things that happened. Usually when I did something bad to my brother, Ricky, I remember tripping him and he cut his head open. And I remember snooping around my dad's closet and finding Hanukkah gifts and he got really mad at me. We found the train set that we actually have downstairs <laughs> in the basement. True story, dad. I think if you're listening, I remember that. But do you have any early memories of, of the old world? Absolutely none. Nothing. It's, it's actually bizarre. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I actually don't really have like true vivid memories until probably first grade or so. Is that hard to believe? I think it is. I don't really have, I guess, before the age of, you know, five or six, I really have no memories. It's interesting. I think it's as before it's more like visions and stuff. Um, let's, let's give a little bit of context here. Uh, because I think it'll add to it as, as how we grew up and our parenting styles. Tell us a little bit about mom and dad, historical, who they are, who they were then, who they are now. Oh, gosh. Um, so typical Soviet parents, for the most part, I think, actually, with a twist. So uh, my dad, as long as I've known him, has been the hardest working person that I have ever met in my entire life. Um, uh, he had one day off, um, and that was Sundays. Every other day he was working. Um, vacations were few and far between, and they most always ended up in a drive to Florida Wait, from Brooklyn. Can you talk about that van for a second? With the beach chairs and loosely <laughs> so, in the back? So, yeah, actually, my dad Dodge used to Carol. have, no, an Astro van, okay? It had two front seats and a flat back in the back. And they used to put fold-out chairs, and we would hang on to the back of their seats. <laughs> no seat buckles. And nothing. And that's, how we, and that's how we drove. Yeah, it was insane. Um, super immigrant. Super immigrant. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we spent the summers upstate in Monticello where we had a bungalow with all, you know, in a Russian community. Um, my mom also worked full time. She was an engineer, um, which was pretty incredible. I got to go as a little kid to the city with her once in a while. Um, and she was working full time until about the eight, until my si youngest sister, who was 13 years my junior, um, turned about, I don't remember, three or four. And at the time, we, we grew up with Polish nannies, live-in nannies. Um, and our nanny was going back to Poland. And my mom had to make a decision whether to, you know, get another nanny or quit working and stay home with my sister and um, she decided to um, stop working. And um, ever since then, she has been 1,000% devoted to her kids and her grandkids. I mean, she's got seven grandkids. She watches every single oh. one of them <laughs> about, I'd say, eight days a week. Yeah, um, and it's pretty incredible. So I have this strong sense of like, work ethic, as well as a super strong sense of like maternal, um, nurturing family side. And we'll get into a little bit. And I think those are some of the qualities that I saw in you early from when I met your family for the first few times. And uh, the funny story I always tell is when, when I met your grandma for the first time, I don't know, it was a restaurant in Brooklyn or some family event. And um, what she knew, but her family not. I love any mayonnaise-based food, any type of salad. And a lot of the Russian foods are things you wouldn't normally eat. The color is usually purple. There's there's textures and things that, like, that are not 
traditional American fare. Oh my God, come on, it's disgusting. It's <laughs> for fact, anybody that's but, not but the Russian. First time, but for the first time when, 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 I, when her grandma, when I met her grandma, I woofed down like Shuba and all the other- They felt to fish. And her grandmother looked yeah. over and she's like, Alona, you must marry this boy. I think she might have said, are you sure he's not Russian? <laughs> uh, and, 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 and just for everyone out there, I'm, I'm, I'm Russian and Polish by, by blood. So it's definitely in, in the veins yeah. and I love all that food. But um, I want to get back to your parents for a moment. And, you know, I, I think I do a good job of, of showing your, your parents are my set. My parents are in Florida and they'll always be number one, but I am blessed and lucky to have the most amazing in-laws. And, and I feel like I show them that and I, and I give them that. And, you know, I, yeah. I take that from your mom especially and how much gratitude I have for her and love, how much she gives to our kids and she gives yeah. herself and from your dad, that, that work ethic. Yeah. And that's something that's, that's always inspired me. And, you know, I have such great stories and time with him from being his assistant, uh, doing work on our house, which really involves me just watching him and handing him shit from his, uh, his tool bag. Or holding a ladder maybe. Or maybe holding a ladder yeah. or maybe like plugging something in. I, I could handle that. Uh, but that's what, that's what inspired me. We talk about work ethic and that's something that, that y you have, you know, absolute in spades. But <laughs> there's this concept I heard the other day called immigrant guilt, where children of immigrants, um, first generation, second generation, feel like they need to make their parents proud. Like it's like this deep thing. It's like my parents made this sacrifice for us to come here. And I can't fail. I have to do better than them. I have to do that to show them up. Um, do, do you feel that at all? 100%. Um, first of all, aside from my own internal need to succeed, and that's probably um, part of my Virgo personality and part of just general, like the fabric of my personality. But um, I, I just, I always felt like I needed to, I mean, they came here so that I could have a better life and I 1000% needed to have and still need to have a better life um, than the one that they came from. Not the one that they gave me because I think my parents have given me a an amazing life and they have set me up for success all along the way, both financially and emotionally. Um, I mean, I have, I have no school loans and that's a pretty incredible mm -hmm. and amazing gift to be given, right? To start off your life that way. But I agree with you 100%. Um, that mentality for an immigrant to like succeed and do well and make your parents proud is like completely ingrained from day one. It's it's, it's in the blood in the vein. So let, let's talk a little bit about your career story. So when we first met, and you know what? We're gonna have a very open and candid conversation about it because that's what we're doing here. Um, I remember like, and we'll get into our love story in a moment here, but I want to focus on the career part. You were working your ass off at a, at a law firm. Let's talk about, uh, we're gonna take it back 2007. You don't have to say the name of the firm, but talk right. to us about that environment and the kind of work you were doing. And you were, what, how many years out of law school? Four or five years out of law school at that point? Yeah, just a few years out of law, actually, not even. Um, like two years out of law school, I think at that point. And it was, I was working for a law firm, but really I was working in house for a developer and the developer happened to be an attorney by trade and had his own law firm that serviced his own projects. Um, before I get into the like, the bad, let me, let me give you the good. The good was that um, I got an incredible amount of knowledge because I was working on buildings 
ginormous condo it's, buildings it's, from like it's the ground, complex deals, complex from, deals the ground from the ground up with lenders like Lehman Brothers and, um, you know, like really like from going to a job site with a hard hat to, you know, preparing legal documents to sitting in on closings where you have these giant, massive law firms like DLA Piper on the other side and you're this little attorney. Um, so that... That was an so unbelievable it was a, experience. It was a trial by fire. We, we, we talk about that. Well, yeah, it totally was. However, the person that I worked for made my life miserable. Um, he was relentless. He slave was driver, yeah. yeah, a slave driver. He was a chauvinist. Um, and, um, you know, Me Too hadn't happened. But, you know, you just kind of, you know, you're a young, pretty yeah. attorney. And... You can imagine you're working in a construction site with, you know, roughneck people, and that's what work was like. And, you know, there was no room for error. There was no room for, um, you know, a learning curve. None of that. So it was trial by fire all day, every day. But that, but that, as bad as it was, it, it hardened you, but it also, yeah, it toughened you up for for taking some of that shit. Not that you should or you, or you have to, but was there any point early on that you're like, oh, my God, I— at that point when you're working for for this gentleman that you were like, I don't want to do this anymore? Oh, oh my God, absolutely. Not that I didn't want to do this anymore, just that I didn't want to do this for him anymore. But we all know what happened in like 2008, 2009 when the, the real estate crashed. bubble burst. And then it was time to look. Um, So I didn't really have a choice. Like I had a job and I was holding on to that job for dear life because that. my job was in real estate. And this is when we first met. This yeah. is when we first met. And it was. And how many mornings did I wake up crying saying, I don't want to go to work today? Yeah, crying. it was it was it was brutal. And we're gonna we're gonna double back to our relationship yeah. and but I, I should have first asked, like, out of law school options, I mean, wh why did you choose to go into into commercial real estate? Was it, it had something to do with your, your your dad being in the industry? What what drew you to commercial real estate litigation? No litigation. transaction, sorry, transactional, transactional work, work versus right. another in maybe finance, other other financial. So actually, I didn't start with commercial real estate. I started with residential real estate. Um, I, for me, real estate was a natural fit because. My dad was in, you know, the construction world, the real estate world. My brother at the time was in the real estate world. It seemed like a natural fit. I knew right away that I didn't want to do any litigation. I wanted to do only transactional work. So it seemed like a natural fit. Um, coming out of law school was, you know, it was difficult to find a job. And, you know, they were all low paying. So I, I, I sort of stepped into that residential field. And I guess within a year, I knew that this was not for me. I wanted bigger. I wanted better. I wanted yeah. sexier. I wanted more money. And the only way to do that was commercial real estate. And slumming it in residential world. You know, I mean, listen, nothing, not that there's anything <clears throat> wrong with residential real estate. I just wanted more for myself. And um, I was very fortunate enough that I got, I mean, fortunate or unfortunate, whatever the case may be, but I, I was introduced to the developer that I worked um, with by a family friend, a childhood friend. Right. Um, and so started so, the story so, of my commercial real estate career. So let's let's talk about uh, your time over at, at Silverman, which is kind of like the a, a big part of, of our early relationship there. Yeah. Um, that was that was like a that was a that was a that was a big girl job. You, yeah, you stepped that, into there. That was a firm. It was a, it was it was a real a firm. firm. Yeah. What, 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 was, what were some of your your key learnings from your time at Silverman? Um, so I think with Silmer, Silverman, really, first of all, I learned that 
not all bosses are terrible. And you could be treated the right way and how much better of an Correct. environment it was. They so I, I really love the firm. I love working great. for them. Peter was a, an amazing mentor and boss. And, you know, I really loved that environment. I loved the environment of a firm. The time I loved being in the city. That was yeah. amazing. You know, going to Park Avenue every day for work. Um, it felt you know, right. Yeah, it felt right. It felt right. It felt like, you know, when you're in a place where you're valued, where you're valued, um, you know, you want to do a better job. And that was my biggest takeaway. It was great. And it was the, correct me, keep me straight here. It was, you could have, you could have stayed, but it was a time to, to make a move and we moved out to Long Island. Well, and get, you know, I couldn't right, have stayed. No, and it was, it, was, it was time to go. And we had a situation where we needed to, we needed, you know, we need, I, I didn't want to be away from our kids. Right. We need to go onwards away. and upwards. We need to go onwards and upwards. And, um, came out to the Island and the first, the first firm that you're working at, um, was it, did, did you know it was going to turn out the way it ended when you started there? Definitely not. I actually had really high hopes and um, I really loved, um, I loved the firm. I, I loved some of the people there. I was working on real complex deals, um, you know, big deals. And I really thought that this was going to be like, um, you know, the place where I would be, where I would like take my career to the next level. I mean, I was still an associate when I started, you know, I really thought that at, you know, at some point that I get to partner, to progress up to partner and like really, what? you know, be a fiber of the firm. Um, you know, things don't always well, work out exactly what how was, you. What was the first sign of, of toxicity there? Um, I think the problem is, is that, you know, for a firm to really um, succeed and for you to succeed at a firm, you need to feel like there's some sort of like succession planning that the people Group. that you're working for are setting you up so that you excel because if you excel, they excel, right? Um, it seemed more like a place where everybody was, you know, working for themselves, you know, it was about their bottom line. It was like fiefdoms, almost like fiefdoms. It was about their bottom line rather than, um, you know, the firm as a collective whole and the people that work for it. And, um, you know, I, again, I worked with some incredibly smart and talented attorneys. The bosses that I worked for are Incredible attorneys, bar none. Not the greatest people leaders or not, mentors. Not the greatest people growth. leaders. Exactly right. Like, and not not everybody's meant to be a people leader, and not Correct. everybody's meant to be. Some a people mentor. are better better individual contributors. And I also talk when we talk about culture that it's not just you know pizza on Thursdays and beer pong and you know happy hours, but when employees feel that they have a clear trajectory, a career path in front of them, a growth opportunity, that that's that's a major part of culture. And they didn't have it at this firm. And it was quite the opposite. Um, and it got to a point where I remember you wanted to quit, not just the firm, but you wanted yeah. you wanted to quit the profession. Take 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 us back to that that low point. What was that like thought process? So for me, I just I, I felt a little bit pigeonholed as to where I was. I wanted to be on the island. I didn't want to go back into the city. This was pre-COVID still. Um, I didn't want to go back to working in the city. Our kids were still young. And I just felt pigeonholed um, in the place that I was because I didn't think there were other firms on the island where I could get the same kind of complex right. 
real estate deals that I was working on, you know, at the salary that I was working at. And um, I just felt a little dejected. Like, yeah. I didn't think that I was going to make it to the next level. I think it became apparent that I was not going to make there it to the ceiling. next level. There was a ceiling. There was a glass ceiling. There was a ceiling. And, um, <clears> you know, I didn't feel they were investing in me. And I didn't want to invest back into the firm either. Um, you know, I, I take some of the blame myself, too, for not, um, you know, not having the best experience in the end. And I, and then I started thinking like, what? You kind of gave up, you kind of didn't want to, uh, you were phoning yeah, it in there. I remember maybe. you were, yeah. and it I mean, wasn't it was, feeling right. It was, yeah, it, it was, was just a downward like a vicious, spiral. A vicious circle. And, and, and you knew, and you knew you had to punch out. Yeah. And I just, and then on that, and then I started thinking, well, maybe, maybe this is the best that I can do. Maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe I'm not as good of an attorney as I thought that I was, because if I was, then I'd be at that next level. Then I'd be where right. I wanted to be. And so I started That's thinking like- It's defeatist. Yeah. It's imposter you know, syndrome. It is imposter syndrome, a hundred percent. And and that's terrible. And for everyone out there listening too, like really evaluate if you're not happy in your job, but you're confident that, hey, I'm good at what I do. I know what I'm doing. Take take a deep breath, step outside literally and figuratively and 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 say, is it me that's that's not good enough or is it where I'm at? And and evaluate it because life's too short to to be in a job that you're not. And I remember the conversations that we had, baby, and you were like, I'm like, no, like this is your career. And yeah. and then we started talking about like what else you like, oh, I always thought maybe I'd be a teacher. And then you start to really think like, well, now I gotta go back to school, I gotta go to this, and you're like, fuck that. Like, yeah. like yeah. that's just that's just crazy right. talk. Did you think that your parents would have been disappointed if you if you decided to do that, or would have they supported you? No, my parents would have hundred percent supported me. Um, my parents support me blindly one hundred percent. I mean, would they have wanted me to throw away my entire legal career? Absolutely not. But would they have supported me if I chose to pivot? Sure. Right. Because they're my parents and they love me. So I, I believe that everything happens for a reason. It's not just a cliche thing. And um, right at the right time, the, this recruiting recruiter from, from the heavens came down and um, it was almost too good to be true. Talk, talk about talk about where, where you are now, where you landed. Oh, I'm at the best place ever. Um, Paid sponsor opportunity for Mordhawk. <laughs> I, I am proud to say I work for Mordhawk and Hamroff, LLP. Um, they, it's a firm of 90 plus attorneys. Uh, we have three offices now, uh, Garden City, New York City, Florida. We are a full service commercial firm and I love where I work. What was it during the interview process? And, and I remember this. I remember how excited you were. I, I vividly remember this from the conversation. Two words. What was it? Succession planning. And for those out there, what does that mean? It means that the firm is investing in the next generation that of attorneys that are going to run the firm. Now, it wasn't just and lip service. And that's what they were looking right. for. They but, were looking for someone to fill that position in the commercial real estate department did, of my firm. Did you think it was too good to be true? Of course. Right. And so you go into the interview process and there's always some cynicism in, in the interview process for anyone out there when you think something's too good to be true. And of course it happens. It's bait and switch or, you know, mismanagement of expectations versus, you know, actual reality. And companies do that because they're trying to get you in the door and sell you. And it's not always malicious. And, and, and a lot of most cases it's not. It's just they're trying to fill a role and they're telling you what the vision of the company is. It may not always be delivered. Um, so I remember this role came at a very good, fair salary, which was exciting too. 
12, 13 minutes from our house. It was, it was perfection, right? And, yeah. and you knew you still have to put in the work at this level, but it wasn't going to be the, the, I remember some nights when we were dating early on, you, you get home nine, 10 o'clock. It was late nights and weekends. I worked and, 50 to 60 hours a week. Yeah, it was nauseating. <laughs> like talk about the early mean, stages of our relationship. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What do you, what do you absolutely love? And I've had the pleasure to, to meet a lot of her colleagues and they're incredible and they're just nice people. They're, they're, they're like people you want to hang out with yeah. and, and that's important when you're working closely. Um, and, 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 and you've done more than just grow professionally in there too, but talk about some of the initiatives that you've taken on outside yeah. of your normal day-to-day responsibilities. Well, first of all, I have to say that my firm thinks that going out and getting business is part of my job. They support that both from a time perspective, giving me the time to go out and do that, whether it's conferences or, you know, lunch meetings or whatever else. They give me the financial hockey games, UBS Arena, um, the financial support to do that with my marketing budget. I've never Mm -hmm. had a marketing budget before. Um, They introduce me to people that they think could have, that I could have synergies with. They brought you with. coaching. They brought you a business coach. Yeah. yeah. They, they enrolled me in the they coaching. They invested in your success. Right. Pro. And it was a pilot program and not everybody got it, but they, they invested in me. And since then I've, um, I now co-chair our women's initiative, which I'm super proud of. And I think I'm doing really great things, um, for the women at my firm, um, both from a, and and outside of our firm, both from uh, you know mental health wellness uh, perspective, from a coaching perspective, from a philanthropy perspective, perspective, and um, my co-chair and I are rolling out a brand new mentorship program. It's incredible for yeah for our firm. The other piece that I saw you really grow into also is is the business development side because for as long as our relationship, I've I've always been the one out there, events, networking, traveling, going to all these things to build a business, and it, it's just never been like a real part of your job and, until now. Until now. <laughs> until now. And and were you were you were you nervous about that part of it, like going out there and and hunting? I mean, you are you are a relatively extroverted person. I mean, you certainly have introverted parts too. Um, was that hard for you to put yourself out there? Um, I think it, yes. It was hard for me to put myself out there because it was something that was so new and so foreign to to me. And, you know, like you mentioned before, imposter syndrome, like that's always in the back of, you know, my mind. Am I really like, am I really that good? Can I stand here and talk to these people and really sell myself and sell what I do? I mean, are they going to believe it? Um, but you know what? I hate using this expression, but it's true. You fake it till you make it. I mean, I I go out there and from an outside perspective, you'd think I'd be doing this forever, right? right? Like I'm <clears throat> this is what I do. Same thing with this podcast. Um, but I also feel like it energizes me and yeah. excites me and want and the more I do it, the more I want to do it. Did you pick any of that up from me um, along the years of seeing how excited I would get when I would win business and my networking and how I would, you know. Uh, I would say, go ahead and yeah. sh- shake, shake my moneymaker. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted that. I wanted to feel how you feel. Yeah. Absolutely. I never like, you know, I'm never, je- it's not like a jealousy no. thing. It's more of Envious. like, it's more of like, 
look what he's doing and he's so excited. I want to feel that excited. I want to feel that excited about what I do. And I know it's not as sexy or cool, but you know what? Like going to this con- these conferences yeah. like and speaking to these people and hearing all these amazing women and people do what I do, you know, at even a higher level, like that that really gets me. Like I want to I want to do that. I want to be that. I want to be at that next level. I- your your journey, your work ethic, it deeply inspires me, and I and I think that's something that really whipped my ass in shape. Um, when we first started dating, I was still working in marketing and kind of going through my own metamorphosis and and downturn. And it was inspiring to see your work ethic, and and it motivated me to work harder. And one of the things we're going to talk about in a little bit is this concept of lifting each other up. And I think it's critical in relationships to always be lifting each other up and, and growing. And there's no jealousy and not competition. Even healthy competition is fine, too, um, as long as your, your, your intentions are good. Um, and it's just been f- incredible to watch you grow and kick ass in there. And I, I couldn't be more proud of you. Um, and there's always a carrot at the end of the stick. There's always what's next. And you've worked your ass off, you know, for X number of years in this industry. And, and the next step up um, is in a position of, 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 of quote unquote ownership and real responsibility with an organization and you've earned it. And I am not going to steal your thunder, but I, I couldn't be more proud and just in awe of everything. And, and, and you earned this and uh, you recently got a little promotion. Yes. Yes, I I will be, um, hopefully by the time this episode airs, um, be officially named a partner of my firm. Yeah, so I know, <laughs> and, and that's and that's incredible. Yeah. But I do, but I do have, and it's 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 amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And what would it what did it feel like to to call your mom and dad and, and tell them tell them about both of the reactions? Um, it first of all, I could actually hear the tears in my dad's voice. I'm sorry, mama, but I called <laughs> dad Who would think he would be the emotional one? I, 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 yeah. Your dad has changed a lot. Yes, he Since has. the day I he met softened. him. He softened. Oh, he's so good now. He's the best. Um, your dad's a softie. Yeah, no, I called him first. <laughs> and um, he was just, he was just so, so proud. I mean, so proud that when I told him, hey, it's not, it hasn't officially been, been announced yet, so don't tell anyone. <laughs> two minutes um, later. Two seconds later when I hung up the phone, I got a text message from my uncle, his brother, and I'm like, <laughs> I call him back. I'm like, Papa, like, what's up? I told you not to tell him. And he's like, honestly, after you told me you became partner, I was yeah. I was so overwhelmed and emotional that I stopped listening to anything you said. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't um, even matter. And I know how proud your mom was. And, yeah, she was, and, she was so proud. And I mean, she, she was A lot so of what she does for is for us because she's enabling us to be our best selves for our kids. And that's yeah. why she does it so unselfishly. Um, but I, real, real important question. So when you eventually in the next couple of years become a, a named equity partner, is it going to be more Hawk Hamroff? Babinski or more no. uh, or Posner? What are we going with there? <laughs> it won't be any of that. Um, I don't think my name will be <laughs> on the actual door because how many names can you really have? Um, right. But um, it's like a trading you know it's there. going to be Posner because right. that's the na- That's my license. So. I changed it years and years ago. We went, we went, we went <laughs> through that. Hey, everybody. I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, 
and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. So I want to I shift gears and, and move into the next chapter um, of our, our love story. I think it's important to document it. And this is going to be, it's gonna be a, a time capsule for our kids on the, on the eighth, seventh day of November uh, 2023, our kids will look back on, on the eighth, eighth, eighth sorry, eighth. Gee, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I just don't keep track of dates. Um, and they're going to look back on this and, and our love story. We both came from long-term relationships, a little bit in between. I just got out of a, a, a long-term relationship. You were dating around for a little bit. And, um, I, the craziest part about us is I lived on 90. Sixth. 96th and, and second and she lived on 95th and second a block away from each other and um we were on the dating apps we were on jdate and i was messing around on there she was messing around on there a little bit and we, we we started talking um but it wasn't a hit off right away was it um i i think well the fact that you weren't trying to set up an actual date for like a month, you had literally almost reached your almost like limit. I can't even of, imagine I that, I mean, right? he almost blew it. He, I, <laughs> I literally said, if this guy does not actually ask me on a date in the next like whatever days, I'm done talking to him. I don't need a pen pal. No, I don't. Speaking <laughs> of pen pals, what was what was my name on J-Date? Oh, my God. It was Amakipa spelled K-E-E. And Chris, my producer just spit out his coffee there. H. I'm a keeper. I'm a keeper. And, and, and credit to Tommy Halleck for coming up with that one. I cannot take credit for that. Yes. And I forget yours was just like Alona. It was something so vanilla and boring. Yeah. Which it is was just kind boring. of apropos about um, our personality. And uh, we did it. And and I'll be honest, my I delayed it because my dance card was full. I was <laughs> I was trying to get my rocks off my and just date player. around and, and like you know and 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 she was out there and I had some. We could tell data, dating horror stories on another. Uh, I, the one girl that went psycho on me when I took her to the um, uh, that oh, circus you, thing. You took me there. <laughs> I took her after because so I wanted to redo a redo because we had to leave two minutes into it. So I wanted to go back because I enjoyed it. Yeah. And that was another cool thing. I was like, no, no, no. That girl was psycho. I enjoy where I am. I want to take this girl here. Uh, so let's talk about our first date. And and this for me was um, the moment there was a a sushi spot directly in between our, our our two buildings and that's where our first date was. It was kind of like a last minute thing. Hey, what are you doing tonight? Like, let's go. And we went downstairs and I mean, I saw pictures of you online and it was just stunning. I, I still remember your photo in my ingrained in my head. And um, I remember seeing you for the first time. I'm like, this chick's hot. This chick's <laughs> fucking hot. I'm like, okay, don't, I'm like, don't ruin this. And I wasn't as um, uh, well kept as I am now. She definitely uh, cleaned me up a little bit. Just, just to say the least. And, um, remember ordering i don't know if it was it was probably me who said it to say hey do you want to share because you've told me this you've never really had that experience oh yeah no my ex refused to share food it was it, it should have been clear from the beginning why the relationship would not work but um yeah no he would not share food and i was like what? that's not even that doesn't even like compute in my mind no, but we did it was a first meal and, and i think breaking bread together and having that first meal and just amazing conversation. And we had a great first date, we, actually. We, we, we hit it off and uh, double tipsy. And then we went to the bars. I think it was called the Raven yeah. across the street and had a couple more drinks there. Yeah. 
and then we went back and uh you you were trying to get me upstairs a little bit and you were a little drunk and then i don't and, think so and then uh, i uh that I is a not true I i'm sorry you, but i was a gentleman and i remember <laughs> our, i remember our, i remember our first kiss in your doorway downstairs yeah we did and, have a first and kiss and that was it and um I went back upstairs and I remember telling Tommy, I didn't necessarily say that I was going to marry this girl, but I said, she's amazing and she's the hottest girl I've ever met, dated, kissed. And he said, don't fuck this one up. And he said it multiple more times after he got to meet you and brought to Tommy. <laughs> um, Thanks, Tommy. You didn't feel that way right away, did you, about me? No, I mean, I... I we had a great date. Oh God, this Jewish dork kid. No, we had a great date, but like you, like you didn't, I don't know, fit the boxes of what I thought my boxes were completely. And Insert I was joke here. other dating other guys still yeah. too. Um, but there was something about you. There was something what, about you what, where I what, wasn't like completely no. But what was it? I don't know. I think just the just the ease of that first date, like our comfort level, the conversation, um, the fact that didn't seem like you were a game playing kind of guy. I don't know. There was just something comfortable. It was, and and we we proceeded to to go on a, on a few more dates until finally we got to a point of of being exclusive. I mean, you went away. I stayed home over that New Year's, and I professed my love and made you my my girlfriend. And nah. and um, as they say, the rest is history. But the but the early days were rough. I mean. You had to break me in a little bit. I had some bad habits, right? Really bad habits. Like what? Um, you were pretty like selfish, self-centered, you know? I mean, like from like stupid things, like, you know, the way we like had sleepovers where you needed like all your pillows and like- What does that change? Your, yeah. The pillow hasn't, but maybe now we I have my own pillows. But at the time, <laughs> I didn't have my own pillows right. in your apartment. Um, but it was just like, you know, you were, you were very much a creature of my way, my way, my yeah. way, because people always gave you your way. Um, and I was like, well, that's just not going to work for a relationship because now it's got to be our way or at least half your way, half my way. Um, you know, and then other, some other things, but I think that one and like, it was, stands we had, out we had, our, we had our rough moments. There were some times when, you know, we, we got into it early on and there was moments I was like. Do I want to keep doing this? So I want to continue it. And I, it was, there was some times when like you were, I was like, a, I was like need to be housebroken like a puppy. And <laughs> you know, it, it, it worked because it's, it's only made me better. And I it's think made so. me a better person, a better friend, right. better brother, better son. Um, and, and I do thank you for that looking back on it, but there were, there was definitely some early moments. I'm like, oh, and I wasn't trying to break you. Like that was you not were my. Trying to improve I was trying me. to show you that you could be more and better right. than what you and, were and you putting were, out. But you were also the complete opposite of of my ex and and other girls that I've dated. And I didn't I didn't know I needed someone like you until That's I met you. That's a Soviet you. in me. Right. I didn't. I, yeah. <laughs> and I'm telling you, Russian women, Soviet women make the, the best wives when they, when you treat them right. You just don't cross them. And, and I learned that early on. And, you know, I wasn't a good person before I met you as far as relationships. I wasn't loyal and faithful at times. And I mean, I look at you now and I'm like, I, I never strayed for a second, you know? And it's well, like, no. and it's I like, mean, that part of it, I always trusted you. Um, and also, I think that, um, you know, the little things, like that was your, that was your thing. It's like the, 
the tiny little things that show you that somebody cares about you without it being like this big ostentatious thing, like, you know, leaving a cup of water by my nightstand every night or, you know, constantly telling me how much you love me or how beautiful I am or how much you value me or treasure me or being a supporter. That was always there. And maybe that, like, that's what I saw in you that I knew, like, I needed, you know, I needed your unconditional love and support to, you know, to be the best me I could be. So. And I appreciate that. And I knew early on, I was like, I'm done. I didn't want to be dating. I didn't need to be a player. That's not, that's not who I am. No. Right. Like it's just, it's so much, it's not even, oh, so much work and effort to go do that and money and dates every week and all that. But it was like, no, no, it was like, I, I knew when I met you, I'm like, this is the girl. And there was no textbook on it. Like, oh, I need more time to get out there and play the field coming out of a relationship. No, I was like, no, this is the girl I want to be with. And, and we hit it off and our families hit it off and our families are so different and, but they melded and meshed together and friends too. I mean, I love your friends and that's not always the case when people meet each other. Um, my friends loved you obviously immediately. I hope I made a good impression on your friends early on. Yeah. And some of your early friends are my best friends. Yeah. And their husbands too. And vice versa. And, you know, we introduced each other to, to different worlds. Like, you know, there was parts music. of music and- That's, that is like, I'm most grateful to you for introducing me to the world of- House music, EDM, and, whole, and like that whole, like all you, all our friends in that world. I mean, that has really transformed. But it's not just about the music of those folks. It's about the, the element of community and how much they care. And yeah. I talk about all the time. We are, we are if, if you're judging real wealth, not by money, but by the quality of your friends, we are the wealthiest people oh, in the world. 100%. And we have two tribes of folks and, and now they intermingle and mesh, which is thanks to us and incredible. Yeah. Um, but they're all a sense of real community and love and it, and it comes down to values. And I think that's another thing about us that like our values were always aligned from the beginning, not just wanting to have kids, but like how, how, we, how we live our life and, and how we go through life and how we, you know, how we, how we just treat other people. And I think that's, that's critical um, you know, in, a, in a relationship. And we knew right away we always want to have kids. We addressed that early and I talked about that with a lot of couples that that is something that should be addressed early on, especially just at a later age in life. If you don't want to have kids, I mean, that could change. But if you're not aligned, then don't, you know, don't waste time. So we knew right away we wanted to have kids and enjoy ourselves. So Harry met Sally. Um, the, we, we, I surprised her with an incredible engagement. I knew right away. We, we, well, first we moved in together in our cute little apartment on the, on the Upper West Side, which is still my favorite apartment. I know. We had a lot really of fun good. in that place. It was like a mini land. Everything was like little and condensed. Yeah. And But we made it work. We loved it. Was it was great. Except living above the Apple Store when they were building it. And our, our love grew. I mean, there was definitely some challenges early on and we worked through things and we learned how to live together. We learned how to love together um, and we grew into it. But I never, there was never a doubt in, in, in my mind that this is the Same. right thing. And I, I faked her out with one engagement, which is, t tell, tell a story there. The, which one? Uh, the, the, the day before we moved in, I brought oh you to- Oh my God. So I got some for all of you that don't know, I had a, I was already living with my best friend before we moved in together and I loved living with her. And when we talked about moving in together, I said, look, I'm not trying to trade one roommate for another roommate. <laughs> 
Um, if we're moving in together, it's because we're taking this relationship to the next level. And, you know, that means marriage. So if that's not on the horizon, then I'm not moving in with you. He's like, yeah, yeah, of course it's on the horizon. So we're planning, we're planning, we're moving. And like, we had already signed the lease. And right before we were going to move in, it was our anniversary or Valentine's Day, something like that. Um, And he took me on this date. We went to dinner and he's like, oh, I have a surprise for you. And he takes us back to the apartment. It was unfurnished and there's a blanket on the floor and roses and champagne. And I'm like, yes, this is the moment. This is when he's going to do it. Mm, Nope. Nope. And I was pissed. She was pissed. And then <laughs> fast forward uh, a month or so later, our one of our good friends got got engaged and we went out to their engagement party and she got plastered. And at that point, unbeknownst Guilty. to her, I had the ring. The ring was in my sock drawer. And she came home and just went apeshit at me. Why didn't you get engaged and I'm not? And you duped where the me. Hell the ring? You duped me. And I'm like, but this was like, and, first of all, yeah, this and, was like our fourth yeah, engagement yeah, party, yeah, and, and it was and more it was than a month up. later. Right. And <laughs> it was like, unbeknownst to her, I had the ring in my sock drawer, and it got so worked up that night that I literally almost went to the drawer, got it, and threw it in her face. Like, Fine, you want to? Here's your fucking ring. I'm like, a girl. Now we're I'm a girl. Right? And I kept it. And 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 aren't you lucky that I didn't do that? Because yes. I think I I love surprising you. I still think it's the best way to keep a By relationship. By the way. 17 years later, he's still surprising me. That is a fact. And um, you told me you never saw the Pacific Ocean. And and then on Valentine's Day, I was working at SiriusXM at the time. Uh, we both have a love and still do rest in peace. Anthony Bourdain, um, I worked at SiriusXM. Anthony was in the studio. He had his new Leal cookbook, ran downstairs. I was like, I'm going to get this autographed. And Danielle, who I work with, organized it. And... Um, went up to him and said, like, hey, nice, nice to meet you. Um, we never said, Anthony, uh, to Alona, happy Valentine's Day, turn to page 10, Anthony Bourdain. And Anthony's like, why page 10? I said, Anthony, I'm gonna take my wife out to California. I'm gonna take her to the beach. I'm gonna propose to her and that's gonna be it. And he goes, that's a pretty slick plan. Go. <laughs> I think he said, don't fuck it up. That's actually what he said to me. And, a lot of people um, in your life have told you not to fuck things up Anthony with me. And Anthony Bourdain <laughs> blessed our, our our engagement, and I surprised you. We went out there, and um, was that a, did I do well with that engagement on oh the beach? Oh my god, are you kidding me? Pacific Ocean sunset, like it, it was, was honestly like the best engagement ever. I mean, I don't even know what you said to me to be know, honest with you. I have something. no idea, um, but just the whole the whole thought process. I mean, it was like, it wasn't just like a one-time thing. I mean, to get me the book and the tickets and the, you know, and then mm-hmm. when we were in the hotel and you're like, let's go upstairs to the roof for a drink before dinner. So we went and then we come downstairs and you're like, oh, let's get a car. And all of a sudden the the doorman or whoever is like, Mr. Posner, your car is here. And I'm like, what? No, he didn't even great. ask for a car. I'm like, <laughs> Something is weird. And then uh, I remember going up to the bathroom in that restaurant upstairs and I was fumbling. I had the ring in my pocket. I'm like, this thing is so bulky. So awkward. It was so awkward. And every guy out there and lady who's ever proposed, they could certainly relate on that one. Uh, fast forward, we had a, a absolutely beautiful, it was one of the best weddings ever. People still talk about it. It was during a crazy storm, yada, yada, got married, honeymoon in Thailand. That was all good. Um, and then it was time for kids. And uh, we went out to Italy. Um, to visit our friend Jeppo. And, and that's where I say, not technically, but Nina, Nina was, Nina was, is infused with the yep. Italian 
food and olive oil and the sun. And I think that's really- Our Italian love fest. Yeah, that's that's really <laughs> what made her what she is. And Nina was, is, she was perfect baby, perfect, perfect kid. And she was, she was amazing. Um, and we're living in the city and it was fun living in the city, right? Yeah. We had a great time living in the city. So it's one of the best times of our lives, with, I think. Before kids, with kids. It yeah, was all of it. 10 years total. We Together. To get, well, not no, together, no, no. but respectively, I think we lived in the city well, seven, 10 years seven, together. Seven, we were seven, eight years. Seven, eight, eight, yeah, we yeah. lived in the city together for a while. So I, I miss it and we have the ability to come back now. And But Nina was born there and I always tell her like, you're, you're a city baby. Yeah. And it was an incredible time. I She's was got street cred. in between jobs the, the the first few months that we got to, that those first few months with Nina were incredible. Together we were going out to Long Beach, um, and then we're like shit. Like we can't all fit in this apartment. We were on up on eighty seventh and, and Amsterdam over there, and uh, Columbus. And it was it really wasn't a tough. To, right? Was it a tough decision to move to the Burbs? I mean, we had a lot of good things waiting for us there. I mean. Were we that couple that said, we're never going to move to the Burbs? I said it yes. a little bit, yeah. we both said it. But when it came time to move to the Burbs, um, I think we both knew that it was the right move. And I think we were both ready at the time to do it. And I think it turned out amazing. It did. And and it, and it wasn't all it wasn't all great. We had a beautiful house and all that stuff. And, and then it was time for, you know, second kid. We've always wanted, we always wanted two kids. And for anyone out there... Um, you know, the, the, the act of conceiving a child and, and having a child in this day and age is just, it's a miracle to begin with. And um, we had our, our fair share of, of difficulties, just to say the least. Yep. Um, it was tough. You know, you, we had, you know, a couple of misfires, so to speak. And those were really tough times because it wasn't just one, it was multiple. And um, yeah. take us back to those, it was a three-year period. Yeah three-year period of, um, you know, lots of pregnancies, but no baby to show for it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we, you know, it was obviously physically difficult. Um, you know, I didn't feel like myself, didn't look like myself, like, you know, gain weight and you know, all that kind of stuff. But emotionally too, is like, how could it be that we were so, we could conceive Nina so easily and um, here we are. And I had no idea that it would be a problem and, you know, it just continued to be a problem. And I had no idea what the problem was, you know, and you feel like a failure. You feel like, why isn't my body doing what it was supposed to do? Like, is it something I'm doing? Is it something I'm not doing? Like, what's going on. And how much of it did you feel was like us waiting? We didn't try immediately after Nina. We waited a little bit. Do you think, did you feel like, were you blaming like, hey, did we wait too long? Did we? Um, I'm sure that thought crossed my mind. Um, we didn't really, we didn't really wait that long. I think we maybe waited three years. Like that's no, like a respectable. Yeah, well, listen, maybe no, you're... Nina was about three when we started trying again, right? Because right. she was six when Oliver was born. So yeah, it was, you know, she was about three years old. It wasn't that long of a time, but I, I mean, we were older a little bit. It was rough. It was um, really rough. It was, it was, it was really. You weren't yourself. It was, it was friction on relationship. We weren't as intimate and, you know, certain things became more of a task versus enjoyable. And it yeah. was, 
rough. And, but we, I mean, I think that made a strike because that could have broken us. I mean, it was, there were some really low points. Yeah. And you were at your lowest. I don't think anything can break us. Mm, I don't think so either. <laughs> and lo and behold, on we said we're going to give it one, one last, more try, one last try, one last ditch effort. And after some surgery and a bunch some, of other stuff, magic. yeah. And um, we were blessed. And one thing that I I wanted to talk about because I don't think people know this. So all the power to people out there that find out the sex of their kid. I mean, like some people find it out like the second, like oh pfft, here baby. Um, <laughs> like, what are we having? We decided not to for both of our kids. Uh, we both truly believe that there's really only two true mysteries in life, two real unknowns. You know, when you're going to die and when you're having a child, what the sex of that baby is going to be. And for us, it was a no-brainer. We both aligned on it. It, was, it, was, it wasn't even like, we were both like, yep, yeah. we, we do not want to find know. out what our kids are going to be. Don't want to know. We did some don't neutral, care. We don't did neutral know. colors in the rooms. We didn't even need to plan. That's we got right. some neutral baby clothes. And um, the day my son and daughter were born, like the, and there's crazy stories about those days as well, which I'll save for another podcast. Um, <laughs> but both of them. We're not. But both of them. Um, <laughs> We'll, we'll leave those. Uh, you know, one of them, remember, you should not eat a, a, a roast beef sandwich before your wife gives birth for all the guys oh out there. God, but <laughs> it was terrible. Um, but this miracle child, number two, came, Oliver. And uh, I mean, that was hard for me because I was not in a great place, you know, with, with, with work and changing, pivoting in my career at that time. And, uh, it was tough going back. It was a six year difference between our kids. And for me to go back to baby mode and sleepless nights, that was, that was not a fun period for me. Those early days. With uh, yeah. And we were almost 40 years old. So <laughs> we weren't spring chickens anymore and we were tired and we had, were working and we had a house and another kid build and careers. And he, you know, he, tough he, baby. he was, I mean, he wasn't that tough of a baby, but I think it was a tough time, you know, and, juggling all that and sleep deprived and, you know, and, and trying to like get back to like, cause we had a good, we, we had were, a good, those you know, years like when Nina was, was already like, like <laughs> no, but she was already like six years old. She was like <laughs> yeah, self-sufficient. Yeah, I mean, she'd wake six. up in the morning. Oh my God. She'd watch her iPad. We could sleep late. Yeah, and now here we were not sleeping at all. It was, it was a real um, tough transition going yeah. from one kid to two kids, yeah. six years apart. And I give all the people credit in the world that have, you know, Irish twins and you know, they get it done. They knock that shit out. And I'm like, maybe that's a better way to go. I, I don't know. Yes and no. But I mean, Nina is well, the most amazing no. little mommy ever. And she, we would be, she's like art. No, they're thick as these. Like yeah. their relationship is the most incredible thing that I have ever it's, witnessed in my entire life. <laughs> like I, siblings, I can't even, I mean, I cannot even believe the kind of relationship that they have. And it is magical. So for us, yes, that age difference was the best. At this stage, kids are, are uh, 11 and five. What is, what is, Nina's superpower. Oh man, Nina's superpower is her empathy. She's probably the most empathetic person. I can't even say kid because energy. she has a level of empathy and understanding of 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 people and human nature that is way 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 beyond 
her years. It's crazy. And I'd say also her her confidence. She is confident. It's insane. Yeah. She I mean, gets, I hope that's part of it from us. Like, I, I think we instill like that good confidence examples, I think. in her and we, we're good examples. But I mean, she is, and, she blows and, me away and everybody Everybody yeah. I know feels the same and way. Our friends, our friends like like hanging out yeah. with her. It's crazy. Um, she's just the most. I mean, she's my she's my person. And and Oliver, a little. If, I mean, at five years old, I, I see such intelligence and brilliance and creativity from him. And he's it's like an old soul in certain ways. Like there's certain things about him. He's like, no, okay. no. he's just wild and he's funny and he's so loving. Like I he loving is, is. Yeah, I, I mean her. that. That part he has. He's to a get Romeo from also. You. He's a Romeo he also. He is a Romeo. He's, he's got, got four, five, four, five, No, five. I think he's up to five with the girl down the street. Five now. girlfriends now. Five girlfriends. I mean, <laughs> he's got a lot of love to give, and he is not afraid no. to hug and to kiss and to say, "Oh, mommy, you look so beautiful," or "I love that. I love it when you wear lipstick," or "You're so pretty." Mm -hmm. I mean, he's just he's you in that what, way. Yeah. What would? How would you describe our our parenting style, and what elements of that would you like? recommend that and I like what not even recommend but like how would you how would you describe I, I truly think we are very successful parents at parenting yes trial learn fail try things I am not my most perfect a lot of times I, I think I've I, I have my Same. bad moments my good moments but we're only human and, and we get tired but like what, what do you think makes us great parents um, I think we talk to our kids like people I don't think we talk to them like babies or anything like that. I don't think we hide things from our kids. I think that we let them see us, our relationship. We let them see things about the world. Um, you know, we- We love in front of them. Yeah, we're, we're, we love each we other love, in front of them. We, we have music on all the time. We dance around. We have a lot of like fun. family time together, fun time together. Um, we give our kids space, love, understanding. Um, I think that, you know, we're tough also. We expect certain yeah. things and we don't like settle. We don't we don't give them their way. We like you know, we we guide them and we expect certain things and you know, we punish when we need to punish or you know, like give them repercussions for the things right. that they do. Um we don't like, let them get away with like bad behavior, but at the same time, we also apologize when we've done things that are wrong. Yeah, I don't know. We just, I think we treat our kids the way we want to, we want, we treat each other and the way we want to treat, you know, we want to be treated. And it's about instilling those values. And, and I look back to how I was brought up and my parents were pretty laissez-faire with a lot of things. They gave me like enough rope to, you know. More than enough. More than enough rope and <laughs> at certain points too, but I think that enabled me to live and not be overbearing and you know, I, I try to live that way. It's also a very different time growing up in the 80s and 90s and now with social media and so many other terrible things in the world we got to yeah. we gotta take care of. But I, I, my my thing is, and I, people always say it, we have friends with older kids, how fast it goes. And we see our friends with kids that are graduating high school and in college and graduating college that are in our same peer group and similar age. And we're like, shit, like it really is going fast. And before you know it, they're going to be out of the house. And like, I mean, middle school orientation was a kick in the ass to me last week. I know. I can't believe it. I mean, we have almost a teenager on our hands. It's crazy. And uh, I, I just think we're, we, we, I genuinely feel we do a great job at parenting and our, and our kids see it and they see the love here. Um, what would you say is the hardest part about living with me? 
Um, candidly, how much you complain? <laughs> I'm kind of good at it. Um, I take a lot of pride in it. But actually, the stupid stuff I don't care about. But sometimes, um, like, you'll, you know, when you complain, but also, I guess on the flip side of that is like your initial no when I know you're going to eventually say yes. Um, you know, I want you to be like a yes sayer, you know, I, yes, I'm going to try this or yes, I want to do this or sure, why not? Why couldn't this work? And your initial inclination is to always say, no, that's not going to work. I um, think I think that comes with self-awareness. And, and I'm the opposite, which yeah. is why it's so hard for me. And And I think it's something I'm trying to do more of. And I think that having self-awareness is one of the, the greatest things you could be aware of um, in this world. And, and I'm really trying to do better and, and be better. And, um, yes, you are. I think it's more about being present too. I mean, I'm a, I tell my kids to be off their devices all the time. <sighs> and I think I'm really Your trying. Your addiction to your phone. And is... I think that I'm putting it away though in times of us being present. Yeah. And I'm really trying to make a, an effort for that. And uh, I think we're doing a pretty good job. Um, so before I bring it home here. Um, well, what about me? Oh, Yeah. You should answer that question too. Don't put me on the hot so in the hot scene alone. The the toughest part there's, I mean you're you're obviously a pleasure. I think it's more like mic, <laughs> I think it's more micro things, more like things you maybe things that you don't always do around the house. Things that like they're more about my things that like I'm neurotic about that probably wouldn't bother a lot of people. Um, like leaving your contact lens things for weeks that I throw out. I don't out. do that anymore. Well, no, you do because I throw them out all the time. <laughs> and like leaving your clothes on the chair for weeks at a time. I, um, but there's a balance there because I, I I decided to not let those things bother me and I just do them because you're doing so many other things like for the kids and being there, like event coordinator, social calendar, and there's a good balance there with stuff that we do. So I take care of that shit and I keep the house in order. I don't, yes, mind, do. I don't mind doing you, any of that stuff. And like, I hate doing it. And, right, and, but there's and, a balance there. There's things I don't like to do. Like I don't want to be texting all the moms right. trying to schedule pickups and shit and you handle and that's a balance. And I think we'll get into that in a minute, but it's about having that balance of things that we both like to do, recognizing them and not having the other person do it. Paying but, uh, bills. I would, I can't, I, I would, I our, we would have no electricity, we have no water, water things the pool like, would be brown. foreclosure, yeah. taxes. Yeah. If you didn't pay our bills, oh, we oh. would be on the street. I'm and, terrible at and, it. And we do, and that's really what the balance is. So um, <laughs> I had the opportunity to interview Tom Bilyeu this past May with uh, my buddy Chris over there at, at VCon. Um, check him out. Uh, Tom is is fantastic. And him and his wife have been together for almost 20 years. And he has this thing from a few years back. It's Tom, Tom and Lisa's Nine Rules uh, Learnings from a Successful Marriage. And I want to go through a couple of them and just kind of get your thoughts on it. Um, number one, be, be intimate often. And I think we really try to, there's been ebbs and flow in any long-term relationship, high moments, low moments, droughts, distractions. But I think if you make that a priority and have the physical love, it keeps a lot of the rest of it going. What do you think? Absolutely. And I think that um, we can recognize when it's been a while, when there's a low, when there's a dip, and like we'll look at each other and we'll be like, hey. Yeah. This is not good. We need to change this around. And, and we, do. we do. We always do. Um, and it's a day in and day out. It's tiring. Yeah. By the time the kids go to sleep, yeah, the weekdays. But even that, there's still other things like we hold hands right. or, you know, cuddling you know, in bed, even cuddling, cuddling or even just hugging, a cuddle, a kiss a, in the morning. Like there's never been a single day where there's no kiss in the morning and kiss in the nighttime. I and that's. 
I will never my day. I will never end or start my day without that. And and aside from just being intimate, I mean, it's kind of dark to say this, but like, if that's ever the last time I kiss you, I see you, I, 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 that's what I want it to be. And I, I do it to the kids too. Like it's just, it's just a weird darkness. Um, number two, communicate obsessively. I usually wait till about right when your eyes are closing to communicate obsessively. No, we, we, we communicate. Some of us communicate a lot more than other of us. I mean, you are innately a share everything and anything, everything about you. And I'm more reserved and, um, you know, I keep a lot of things inside, but when I need to share, you are my person to share with. Well, yeah. And, and, and my unicorns. Yeah. (laughs) And, and number three, we talked about before lifting each other up. Um, couples should never be jealous of each other's success. And, and there's nothing grosser than that. And we always, always lift each other up, especially when we're down. Yes. But when we're up, we're our biggest cheerleader, always our biggest cheerleader. I think so. Um, number four, be honest, especially when it's hard. Oh, we're, we're honest. <laughs> yeah. That's something you've taught me. Maybe radical, a little too honest. You know, radical candor, I think is important in relationships. Yeah. Be a good leader and a good follower. Um, do you, do you think that there's times when you can be a better follower? Definitely. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not good at following at all. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm the alpha, but I, I definitely like feel how I feel and, you know, I, I need people to like understand that and, you know, I have high expectations and if I think that my way is better, like, I'm not necessarily so open to. Well, I think there's certain swords that you should not fall on. I think there's certain times when you need to pull back and, and, and everyone too, but I'm sh- I, I, I'm sure of it. you like, I completely disagree with that. <laughs> no, no, I actually don't disagree on it. Um, this is a really important one that I think is the death of many couples is forgive mistakes fast. Um, we've like all couples have our down and out vicious fights. I think it's important, but rarely, rarely have we ever hit below the belt rare. Like, I can only maybe no. count on one hand how many times maybe in our entire Yeah, no, we And don't, it was only our most I, lowest, I vicious time. I don't like, fight like that, and neither do you. And because I we think that causes like that. resentment. And that would just be a downward spiral of of everything. Once a couple yeah. resents each other, it's, it's hard to come back. We've seen it. We see it with, with people yeah. that are close to us, and there's no turning back from that. But it takes me a lot longer to get over things than you. Like, you, we could have a fight, and then, like, you know, the next morning you're fine, and I'm still like, But maybe I'm not. <laughs> maybe I'm just trying, but maybe I'm just trying to like move things along. And we, we but I've I've gotten better at resolving my own internal like feelings quicker. But we're not going to be perfect. Listen, I always say I'm not going to be ten out of ten. I'm not. You can't expect people to be perfect all the time. We make mistakes and emotions no and, and, and 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 tensions. Um, this is this one I absolutely love, and this is what I thank you for is holding each other to a higher standard. Yes. I definitely hold you to a higher standard. And and I think that's that's made me a better person. It really has just made me um number eight we talked about before, uh want the other person to win. Always. I mean we're a team. Always. That you is know, a fact. We're we're Scotty and Michael, you know, like it's you know, I think I'm more Scotty with this nose, but uh <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that one. Um 
And last but not least, make your marriage the highest priority. And my thoughts on this one, our kids, we lead by example. Our kids see us loving. We love each other. We love hanging. You're my favorite person to hang out with, despite what you may think, because I have quite the, I have a bunch of boyfriends, right? Like, you know, but you're my best friend. You're my partner in crime. And like, we have a blast together. We don't need anybody else. We love having people around, but but we we don't don't need need anyone else. We don't need it. We we, we really don't. Um, Do you think there's times when you or I could make our marriage a higher priority? Or do you think we're a pretty good level? I mean, well, I don't know. I think we absolutely recognize the need for our time, like our adult time, our love time. And I think we do an amazing, amazing job because we have amazing support. We built that resource network, right, though. That allow us to do it. But we actually spend a lot of time like pursuing our passions, music, traveling, eating, yeah. you know, like those things. And, um, you know, our kids see that. They understand. I mean, when we're with them, we are with them, right? But they also know that we. There are times when we oh, need wow. our own time, and they they give us that. Like we don't have the kind of kids that say, "No, no don't go. You're leaving again. Why?" But we've also Never. made it fun for them. Yeah, when our they kids love are their, with their babysitters, babysitters we, oh, yeah. we're not Friends, yeah, we're like, sleepovers. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So that's Tom and Lisa's uh, nine learnings from a successful marriage. Um, bring it home here. We're we're coming to the 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 end of our conversation on the couch here um, in New York City. What what wish do you have for me heading into 2024? Well, so there is one and only one wish that you get to see the fruits of all of your labor. Um, that, that not in the pit of your stomach that you feel every single day goes away because, um, well, first of all, success is not measured by money. Um, and you know that I believe that. And I think that you are one of the most successful people that I know. And, um, I want you to feel that way, but I want you to actually, I want everything that you're working on to come into fruition tenfold. From from your mouth, babe, and it's this has been the hardest professional year I've had since the year I got let go and had to pivot and go into recruiting. And Nina had the accident that year, which I really didn't want to get into. And that how was, ironic that your hardest year has been my best year. Isn't that weird? And maybe it's like that no, it's, because it's, there's it's, not no, room for both. There's not room for both, but I think there is room for both, and and I want to experience that room for both and what that will be. Um, Thank you. And I know you wish that. And I, I carry it deep. This has been an incredibly challenging year. As many out there could attest that this has been a fucked up year. There's just, you can't even explain what's happening in the world, the economy, media, and, and just society. And it, and it hurts. And this has been a really hard year for me. But I'm confident in what I built, what I'm building, the seeds that I've planted. Um, and we always, you and I, we always figure shit out in the end. For you... I wish that you fully embrace this incredible promotion that you've earned and you take your career to the next level because it's going to open up these portals that I know you have inside and you're, you know, there's no, there's no indicator and, and timeline of when you have to be, you know, 
hitting certain milestones and doing these things. And, and this is your time to shine and grow and just be this amazing professional that you are. And, and to see our family blossom, our kids getting older, I'm excited to starting to do some real travel with them soon. Um, for the record, I was fully again traveling with a little kid. I'm glad I did. And now we're waiting. Um, <laughs> that's one of the things that we've had point of difference on. And yeah. now it's too late. So I went. Wow. Um, <laughs> but I wish your your success is my success. And I so, truly feel that way in, in our relationship. And, and, and I, it's, I'm, even when I'm down, even when things are rough, I know I'm successful because I have you, I have our love. We have our two kids that are incredible family health, knock on wood. We both have both of our sets of parents that are alive, healthy, and with us all the time as much as they can. Siblings that are, that are for the most part, awesome. And um, <laughs> we all have that in our families. And we're lucky. We're lucky in love. We're lucky in friends. We are so blessed. And of course, there's things we need to work on. And life isn't perfect. It never is. But uh, I think we're in a good, pretty good place here. So as I bring it home here, Alona, what is, what is the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on daily? Um, to take time to enjoy the little things. Um, we're not guaranteed anything. And we need to stop sometimes and like really savor like the moments that we're in. And I try to do that. I, I hope, I hope I try. I hope I succeed in doing that um, just a little bit every day. And last but not least, um, you look back on your life and, and, and those really tough, down, challenging times. And we look back and, and that years struggling to have our second child and years in shitty jobs and harass and toxic workplaces and there had to be something uh, uh, to pull you up and pull you forward. And when you had to reach down deep inside and harness that inner tenacity that you always say I have and pull you forward and up into a better place. And on the inverse of that, when you sit here with love sparkle in those eyes and just gratitude for this life that you and I have created together, what is your lighthouse? What is your beacon? Alona Babinski Posner, what is your North Star in life? You and the kids. Hands down, 100%, always. And that is mine as well. Is that so bad? We did it. You got this. Yeah, you got this. Um, <laughs> this has been awesome. Uh, before I sign off here, I want to thank everyone out there for sticking with me for five years, 300 episodes. My extraordinary producer, Chris Mueller, for 150 plus episodes and really being uh, the the the... Chris Mueller on the drums, um, <laughs> really just being the engine that drives the show and, and sticking with me and believing in me and, and, and riding it through and really inspiring me to do better and challenge me and pushing me and, and everyone out there. Thank you. Oh, this is him. <laughs> this is how he gets, you see? Yeah, this, this, this. <laughs> oh. you know, I, I've, I've thought about quitting. Quitting what? This. The show? Yeah. Huh. What are you crazy? But then I'm like, this is my art. Like this is my canvas yeah. and, and this is what I do. And yeah, quit other things. Don't quit the yeah. show. So 
Here's to 300 more episodes. And uh, everyone out there, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Uh, you know how to find out more at thepodcast.com. Follow us on the social media channels. If this show resonated, leave a review rating. It goes a long way. <laughs> Sharing means caring. Remember, be good to each other. Sorry. Be good to yourself. Be better to others. And catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com. <laughs>